In Jesus' name we pray. Can we just bow our heads and close our eyes and pray and ask the Lord to speak to you. In all that is said generally, God has something for you in particular. As an individual, say, Lord, speak to me. In all that I am going through, all that confronts me in my life, grant me a word that will give me the grace to pull through. Also pray for me, God, and help me to see what should be said as it should be said. Our prayers are in Jesus' name. Praise the Lord. Today, this morning, we'll be looking at a very important topic. The cost or the price of discipleship. The cost or the price of discipleship. And when we talk about the cost of something or the price of that thing, what it means to me, what it brings to my own mind is, for example, if you went to the market to buy a dress, you saw this dress, and this dress was nice, and you decided, what? I need this dress. You tell the seller, I need this dress, and the seller will tell you what? This dress costs like this and like that. Because the seller can give you a price and you say, no, this price is too high. Please, keep your dress. Or, the dress can be so precious to you that whatever price the seller has called, you will say, please, take it so that I can do what? Have this dress. So the price that you are willing to spend on anything depends on your value. The value you attach to that thing. Is that not so? So before we talk about the cost or the price of discipleship, perhaps the first question is, what is the intrinsic value of discipleship? Or what does it mean to you? Is it something you regard as worth keeping at any price? Or is it something you regard as, I don't even know why these people like to bother people and make them to be suffering. Let them be suffering though. As for me, God of miracles, now my papa, praise the Lord. And so, briefly, we need to look again at God's offer to us. All of us today as Christians, what is God offering us? Can someone from the congregation read for us Genesis chapter 12? Verse 1 to 3. Someone else will read Genesis chapter 15, verse 1 to 2. And then a third person will read 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 to 4. So anybody who finds Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 to 3, you can raise your hand and we will indicate. Genesis chapter 12, 1 to 3. Thank you. Now the Lord had said unto Abraham. Now the Lord had said unto Abraham. Get thee out of thy country. Get thee out of your country. And from thy kindred. And from thy kindred. And from thy father's house. And from your father's house. 
Unto a land that I will show thee. Unto a land that I will show you. And I will make of thee a great nation. And I will make of thee a great nation. And I will bless thee. And I will bless you. And make thy name great. And I will cause your name to be great. And that shall be a blessing. And you will be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee. And I will bless them that bless you. And curse him that curse thee. And curse him that curse thee. In thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. In thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. Praise the Lord. Now, before we read the other passages, let us just spend some more time on this Genesis chapter 12. The Lord said to Abraham, Go, I'll read from Amplified Version, Go for yourself, for your own advantage. Go away from your country, from your relatives and from your father's house, and go to the land I will show you. And I will make of you A great nation. I will bless you with abundant increase of favors. And make your name famous and distinguished. And you will be a blessing. Dispensing good to others. And I will bless those who bless you. Who confer prosperity or happiness upon you. And I will curse him who curses you. When God met Abraham... God made an offer to Abraham. He said to Abraham, I will bless you. Not so. I will bless you. I will make your name great. He didn't stop there. I will make you a blessing. Amen. Assuming the Lord blesses you and makes your name great, God is saying, even that is not enough. I will cause you to become what? A blessing. A channel. A blessing. A channel of blessing. Sorry. I will make you in such a manner that anywhere you are, people will be happy, will be glad, will be proud to be associated with you. Amen? That you belong to a certain family on account of your presence there. That family will be blessed. That some people are your children. On account of you, those children, their lot in life is guaranteed. Amen. This is what God was holding out to Abraham. And I wish to just say, for anybody whom God has called to become a Christian, this is what God is holding out to you. Praise the Lord. The Bible says, I did not call the children of Jacob to do what? To seek me in vain. Anyone whom the Lord has called, before he even called you from your mother's womb, he did what? He knew you. And he has destined a glorious purpose for your life. God never called anybody to make that person a non-entity. To make that person live a useless life. And so Jeremiah 29 verse 11 says what? I, I know the plans I have for you. Thoughts of what? Thoughts of what? Thoughts of good and not thoughts of evil to give you an expected end. 
to bring you into something that is greater than you. To bring you into something that by yourself, you will never, never get into. Praise the Lord. Just the same way, there is no parent here. You, your child greets you in the morning and you are saying, hmm, how will I wicked this child today? Is there any parent like that here? When you are seeing your child, many times you are seeing your child's future. What you want this child to be. All of us in the same way, God, as he is dealing with us, he is already thinking of what? A future. A future that is glorious. Praise the Lord. Did someone find 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 to 4? Praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He has from, given us new birth. Continue. From the dead and into the, an inheritance that can never perish. Into an inheritance that can never perish. Spoil, spoil or fade. Can never spoil, can never fail. Kept in heaven for you. Kept in heaven for you. Thank you. So God has an inheritance. Once someone, this one has become a child of God. God has what? An inheritance. And it is kept in heaven for you. Where nobody, no demon, no devil can touch it. Praise the Lord. So the Lord is carrying this inheritance for each and every one of us. And in fact, at a point, in Genesis chapter 15, God appeared to Abraham. Because of time, we will not read that. But God said to Abraham, I am your, I am your inheritance. I am your shield. And I am your great inheritance. Another version said, I am your abundant Compensation. What is compensation? Compensation means if you lose something, they'll give you something else. Because God knew that this Abraham, since he started following me, there are some things he has lost. But he's telling Abraham, whatever it is that you have lost, what is it that you gained? I am your shield. I am your reward. I am giving myself to you. Praise the Lord. You see, we must remember these things as Christians. When I became a Christian, when you became a Christian, what is it that God is offering to you? God is offering himself as your father. God is offering a glorious destiny. And I wish those of you who are young, please listen to me. God is offering you a glorious destiny, something that is better than what you can get into. Amen. But you see, to be able to get into these things that God is talking about, there is a process. Amen? There is a process. And that process is crucial. That process, the sum total of that process, the sum total, because it involves many things, but the sum total is called discipleship. If we just read Galatians chapter 4, Galatians chapter 4, verse 1 to 2, anybody can please read it for us. Hallelujah. Galatians 4, 1 to 2. Let me show you the implications of this. Let me show you what? The implications of this. 
the implications of this. As long as the hair is a minor. As long as the hair is a minor. Thank you. He has no advantage over the slave. He has no what? Advantage over the slave. Okay, please continue. Though legally he owns the entire inheritance. Though legally he owns the entire inheritance. He's subject to tutors and administrators. He's subject to tutors and administrators. Until whatever day the father has set for emancipation. Until whatever day the father has set for emancipation. Thank you. If I read it from my own version. Now, what I mean is that as long as the inheritor or heir is a child and underage, he does not differ from a slave. Although he is what? Master of all the estate. But he is under guardians and administrators or trustees until the date fixed by his father. If we just spend a few moments thinking clearly about this verse. Even though we have this wonderful inheritance, great and glorious promises that God is holding out to us. God is saying that what? As long as the heir is a child. Another version said, as long as that heir remains a minor. Or we can add, as long as that heir refuses to grow, there is not much difference between him and a slave. A person who has no inheritance at all. Praise the Lord. So this father, our God, who knows that concerning this my child, I have great and glorious plans for him. That same father also knows that you know, though he owns everything, though this child has these wonderful and great promises being offered to him, we have to keep it until what? A certain time. We have to do what? Keep it. Withhold it from him until a certain time. And in the meantime, we must subject this child to what? Guardians, trustees, family discipline. Until he grows. And then we can give him what rightfully belongs to him. Praise the Lord. When we read the Old Testament and we see the way people died outside the promised land. Did you say anything like that? When they were going out of Egypt, God would say, I'm taking you to a land that is flowing with what? Milk and honey. You will see food. You will eat it until you are tired. You will see this. You will see that. I will chase out seven nations. Great and glorious promises. The question remains. How many of them entered inside that inheritance? Praise the Lord. And in the same way, for all that God is holding out to us, it is possible. It is possible that any of us can what? Fail to enter inside our inheritance. That is Hebrews chapter 4. It is possible. Hebrews chapter 4 says, Therefore, since there remains a promise, of a rest. Let us labor to do what? Enter into that rest. Lest through their own example we fail to come into the inheritance our Father is holding out for us. Praise the Lord. So in um, not too many words, I just wanted to explain that there is a program. A training program. God has 
for everyone that is his children. And by means of this training program, he hopes that he will change you. He will fit you. He will be able to conform you to the image of his son. So that you too, you can also do what? Walk in your own inheritance. Praise the Lord. And just as an example, I, 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 I want to give a small example. If you read the Acts of the Apostles, you will notice something. What kind of offering did they used to give in church? According to Acts chapter 4, Acts chapter 5. Maybe nowadays, when we give offering of 1,000 naira, you feel you've done a big thing. Is that not so? Up to 1,000 naira. I'm doing well. Those people used to give offering of, they sold lands. They sold houses. That's what they came to lay at the feet of the apostles in church. Because of the way the Holy Spirit touched their lives. Are we together? But the question, or the thing I noticed is that as they sold these lands and houses, <laughs> did he make the apostles to backslide? Did he make the apostles to suddenly start quarreling among themselves? Hey! You took one million. Me, I took only two million. Give me. Equal, equal. Did you hear that kind of thing among the apostles? And the question is why? I can tell you why. Because these men had been with Jesus. And on account of Jesus' training on their lives, whatever blessings came through their hands, it did not spoil them. Are we together? There are many things, if it comes into your hand, that's the last day we'll see you in church. If there are some things God has in mind for you, but if it comes into your life, it will destroy you. The Bible says the prosperity of a fool will do what? It will destroy him. And so the first thing God offers to his child is, ah, this is my child. Let me walk on him. Let me walk on his character. Let me cause him to be conformed to the image of my son in preparation for the inheritance we have in mind for him. And that's what the Bible says in Romans chapter 8, verse 29 and 30. We will not read it now. But it says, as many as he foreknew, he predestined to do what? To be conformed. Conformed to the image of his son. So that Jesus will be what? Only the firstborn among many brethren. Amen. You see, God's program for us, first of all, is who you are. It's not first what you have. He makes you become a different kind of person. Conformed to the image of his son. A person that has capacity. Capacity to serve him correctly. Are we together? Capacity to, you know, to resist the devil. Praise the Lord. There is a passage in Proverbs. You know what that passage said? He said, If you have run with men and they have tired you, how will you cope when you now run with horses on the banks of the Jordan? You see, in that, quest in that question... What God is asking is, if the small things that happen around you are enough to make you tired. Somebody has a small challenge in his life, and next thing he says is, God, if you don't do this thing, I will backslide, though. I will backslide, though. Small thing happening around you is enough to shake your faith. What will you do when you now see big, big things that are happening? When you have big, big problems, small problems is enough to, you know, scatter your life. Praise the Lord. 
You see, these things are necessary because if God is bringing you into your inheritance, in everybody's inheritance, there are giants. There are what? The world in which we live now, even to be a Christian, is a great challenge. And here in Nigeria, we are still enjoying a shielded environment because we are religious people. Where I work in UNTH, maybe once a month or once in two months, Hebrew people will come to do heart surgery and all that. And look, if I tell you the things we experience with them, even just because you say you want to pray in theater for this patient, and the kind of comments people make after that. The, you know, the Bible says in the last days it will be what? Difficult. It will be difficult to be a Christian. Among them, when I talk with those who are, you know, already Christians, they tell me that, ah, when we come to Nigeria like this, hey, we relax. We, I mean, nobody's angry with you just because you are a Christian. In many places where you, many places where many of you want to go, just because you are a Christian, people are already going to be angry with you. Praise the Lord. So to prepare us even for these end times, God has this program, and it is called discipleship. To increase you. To increase your capacity. To increase your depth as a Christian. Because the Bible, you know, not the Bible, but it is said about Nigeria. Christianity is what? One mile wide. But how deep is it? One inch deep. When real troubles come, many people throw away their faith. Or they don't know the tenets of their faith. And so God has offered us this discipleship. So that we can find rest for our souls. Time is going Romans chapter, not Romans, Matthew chapter 11, verse 29. He says, take my yoke upon me. Take my yoke upon you. And learn of me. For I am meek. And lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. So if a person will find rest for his soul. Jesus is saying the only means is what? Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Become my student. Become what? My disciple. That is what discipleship is. And that's the only time you will find true rest for your souls in all the matters of life. Praise the Lord. You see in Matthew chapter 4 verse 19 also, because of time we will not read it centrally, Matthew 4.19, Jesus saw some people and they were fishing and he said to them, follow me and I will make you. Follow me and I'll do what? You see, he didn't just say, hey, stop that. Go and fish for men. He said, don't you know that it's only men that within the kingdom of heaven. What I do with all these fishes? Go and fish for men. Is that what he said? What he said? Follow me. I will do what? Make you fishers of men. This thing I want you to do. This thing I want you to be. I am taking upon me the responsibility of what? Making you. Making that thing out of you. Uh-uh, I'm not a wicked father. Oh. Just do what? Follow me. Be right by me. That is discipleship. Amen? And these people offered themselves willingly. Did he make something out of their lives? Did they turn into sugarcane prophets? Up and down, as we have all over Nigeria today. So, 
Discipleship is God's training program for us. And on another occasion, Jesus Christ looked at a crowd like this and they came around and he told them a story and he left. And they were also indifferent. After that, the disciples came and said, Ah, Master, what is the meaning of this story you have told? And he said, Ah, this and this and this is what it means. That's Matthew chapter 13. The parable of the sower who went sowing. And they said, why didn't you explain to the class? They said, no, those ones, they are not serious. They are not interested in following. They are not interested in learning after me. They are not interested in discipleship. Unto them I will speak in what? Parables. So that they will not hear. They will not understand. But unto you who say, I want to be a disciple. I want to be a follower of Jesus. Unto you it is given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. Praise the Lord. So if a person wants to be intimate with Jesus, wants to know what is going on in the kingdom of heaven, what is the way to that? Be a disciple. Amen. Now we can come to talk about what is the cost of being a disciple. What is it that frightens some people away and they run away? And others say, we are here. We are here. It's not easy, but we are here. We must have this thing. What were the requirements? What were the terms and the conditions the master, Jesus, offered to people when they said they wanted to be his disciple? And for that, we'll look again from Luke chapter 9, from verse 16, which we read in the reading. I'll read from verse 21. Jesus strictly warned them not to tell this to anyone. And he said, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law. And he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple, he must deny himself and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet to lose or forfeit their very self? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory. And in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Truly I tell you. Okay, let's leave that one for now. In this passage now, I want to just ask, who is Jesus talking to? Is he talking to everybody? In this passage at least, Luke 9 from verse 21, he's telling them his secret. So he's talking to who? These are his disciples though. These are people that have left all to follow him. These are not necessarily unbelievers. Amen? In fact, these are serious Christians. These are very committed people. And yet, look at what Jesus is telling them. These are Peter's and John's. He said, I know you have left everything. You have left your fishing. You have left your father. You have been with me all this while. But even then, this message is primarily for people who have come around to associate with Jesus, such as we do in church. Right? 
And so he said, Whoever wants to be my disciple, he must deny himself and take up his cross every day and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life, they will lose it. Whoever loses their life for me will save it. For what good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their own very self? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in the glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. And I just wonder, if you were Peter, or you were John, or you were Thomas, or Bartholomew, and you have been following Jesus all this while. And then Jesus now says, you people listen very carefully. If any of you wants to be my disciple, what will you tell Jesus? Will you not say, what have you been doing all this while? Do you think we just gave up our business for nothing? We have been following you now. You are asking us if we want to be your disciple. What kind of thing is that? Do you want to waste our lives? Praise the Lord. But you know, what is it that made Jesus to draw this line again? Because it's a very serious line and it's a very dangerous line. Can we just read Matthew chapter 16? Which tells us the whole story, you know, the inside story. As CNN will call it. Matthew chapter 16 from verse 21, we read 21 to 24. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples. He must go to Jerusalem. Are the hands of the elders. And suffer many things at the hands of the elders. The chief priests. In the hands of the chief priests. And the teachers of the law. The teachers of the law. And that he must be killed. And on the third day. Be raised to life. And that he must be killed and on the third day be what? Raised to life. 22. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concern of God, but merely human concerns. Thank you. Jesus took them aside and clearly began to show them what? How he is going to, first of all, be rejected, be humiliated, and eventually how he is going to even be killed by the, by the elders and the chief priests in Jerusalem. But he added something. I don't know whether they didn't hear. What did he add on the third day? On the third day, what? You rise again from the dead. Is it that they didn't hear or what? What's the problem? Maybe someone said, in case he doesn't rise from the dead, are we together? What will become of us? We left our businesses to follow this man who. Now this man wants to die and go away. <laughs> Praise the Lord. And Peter quickly took him aside to speak to him privately and began to reprove him and to charge him sharply saying, God forbid, 
how can a, such a thing happen to a great man of God like you? And the rest of us will come and become stranded. You know, at that time in the life of Jesus, there was something that was happening. If you come now and you want Jesus to lay hands on your child, who do you need to see first? You need to see them, Peter. Okay? And maybe if Jesus is busy doing something, and the apostles have gone somewhere waiting for him, and they bring somebody possessed with demons, even if Jesus is not there, what would those people do? Mr. Peter and John, even though your master has not yet come, we are aware, you can also cast this one out. Come and cast it out. So they were already doing what? Enjoying the benefits of ministry. The ministry is what? Moving. They were associated with Jesus. If you must see Jesus, you must do what? See them first. And um, you know, things are going well. And suddenly Jesus comes and says, Ah, not just that they will spit on me and do this and do that. I will even die. He said, God forbid. How can this kind of thing will not happen? And he began to charge him sharply saying, God forbid, this can never happen to you. Man of God like you. How can this kind of thing happen? It's not our portion in Jesus' name. Amen. And Jesus turned away from Peter and said to him, Get behind me, Satan. You are in my way. You are an offense and a hindrance to me. And a snare to me. Because you are what? Minding what partakes of human nature. Please, do you still have the microphone? Read for us again, verse 23. Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. In fact, you are a stumbling block to me. Continue. You do not have in mind the what? The The concerns of God. But merely human concerns. Merely human concerns. Please continue. Then Jesus said to Okay, that's finished. You do not have in mind the concerns of God. All you are thinking about is what? Human concerns. Waiting concern me. What is in it for me? You are not asking what is in it for God. What is in it for the kingdom of God? Because of that, you are an offense unto me. Get away from me. Are we learning something here? You know, each time we pray, what are we really praying about? I hope it's not only human concerns that fills all our prayer requests. That is not the way of a disciple. Praise the Lord. Now that's just number one. But number two, Jesus is laying a very quiet principle here. Which he later went to talk about. If anything is going to grow and become something, that thing must first what? Die. Amen? So death and resurrection by the cross is the normal way. Is the pathway for Christians. Are we together? If anything is going to become something, that thing must first of all Die, Jesus said, except a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies. He does what? Abides alone. But if he dies, it is going to bring forth abundantly. Praise the Lord. Time is fast spent. We should be winding down the next five minutes. But then, let us now look at what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. Where he now began to say what and what and what must die. What and what and what must die in the life of a disciple? Verse 24, Jesus said to his disciples, 
If anyone desires to be my disciple, I'm reading from Amplified, let him deny himself. Which means he should disregard himself, lose sight of himself, forget himself and his own interests. Before I go forward, is there something we are saying that I must die? In this passage we have just read now. Is there something that must die if a person will become a disciple? Self. When we say the road to heaven or into the true prosperity of God is narrow, it is narrow in the sense that it does not accommodate you and Mr. Self. It's either self will die or self will take you with him and two of you will die together. In the long run. And what is self here? He said he must disregard. He must lose sight of himself. Forget himself and his own interests. What does he mean? To forget yourself and your own interests. He must forget himself and his own interests. See, what this passage means though is that there are many things that we are interested in. They have nothing to do with God. They have nothing to do with God's purpose for our lives or God's purpose in general. But you are interested in it. If you will be a disciple, you must lose sight of yourself and your own interests. He says he must forget himself. He must forget himself. He must take up his cross and follow me. And follow me means he must cleave steadfastly to me Conforming wholly to my example in living, if need be, in dying also. So in closing, this passage that Jesus said, he said, if anyone desires to be my disciple, he must deny himself. Self is, you know, human nature, which we addressed earlier this year in this church. Human nature in everybody's heart by birth. And we must put it, what? Aside. Praise the Lord. And it's not just the bad things that human nature does. There are also some good things. Many people are ambitious because of self. They have selfish ambition. Amen? Selfish ambition. A strong desire to do something and it is generated by self. Jesus is saying, if you will be my disciple, you must do what? You must drop that one also. People have many things that they want to become in their lives. And what they want is not necessarily what God wants in their life. Please, which one are you supposed to drop? Which one are you supposed to drop? What you want. What self has willed in you. If you will be a disciple, you must do what? You must drop it. There were two men. Abraham and Lot. God spoke to Abraham. Come to the place I will show you. And I will make your name great and all those things. And Abraham quickly did what? Packed his load and went. When he was going, did he know where he was going? But God had said, and so he went. Later on in his life, there was now disagreement between Abraham and Lot. And Abraham told Lot, You, Mr. Lot, look around and choose which one is good for you. Praise the Lord. And what did Lot choose? He said, Lot lifted up his eyes. And chose for himself the land of Sodom and Gomorrah. Because of what? 
it was well watered. There was prosperity. Hallelujah. Mm, he saw where he's going to grow rich. And he chose it for who? For himself. Did we see that he prayed? Lord, what will you have me do? The prayer of Paul. Just chose for himself. And from there, he did what? He got lost. Lot got lost. Because he's living for himself. There are many of us here, we're actually like Lot. Do you know that Lot was a righteous man? Did the Bible say he was a righteous man? Hey, and his, grief, his soul was always vexed by the things he saw in Sodom and Gomorrah. Every morning, he's vexed. Every night, he's vexing. Who sent you to Sodom and Gomorrah? My brother, my sister, the job you are doing now, who sent you there? Is it just, let us eat? Let us wear cloth? Let us drink? Don't you think God's purpose for you is greater than, what will I eat? What will I drink? What will I wear? On the last day, when you are to give an account of your life, what will you tell God? I spent 30 years, 35 years, 40 years working in a place where I am guaranteed what I will eat, what I will drink, what I will wear. Are you sure you are not like Lot? Have you denied yourself and its interests? Have you allowed the old man in you to die? Because of time, we have to stop there. But he said, let him also take up his cross. How often? Once a week? Once a year? Or when there's retreat or conference? Daily. Every day. When the Bible says take up your cross, the cross is a sign, is a symbol of death. You know, Christians of those days lived their lives ready to die for Jesus, if need be. And more than just that, as they went around, they always remembered the death of Jesus for them. Praise the Lord. On account of the death of Jesus Christ, my old man was crucified. You have to take up that cross. How often? Daily. Because we live in very, very difficult times. All the young men in the house. When you are going around and you keep on seeing naked bodies, what will you do? You have to remind yourself, I was crucified with Christ. Where? On his cross. I am now what? A new creation. I don't do this kind of thing. Otherwise, you will always be falling into immorality. Where? In your mind. Amen. Take up your cross every day. Knowing this. This is now Romans chapter 6. Knowing this. You have to keep on knowing this. That the person whom we once were has been crucified with Christ on his cross. You have to carry it around with you daily, knowing this. So that whenever temptation meets you, whenever a demand is made on you to sin, you say, no, the person I used to be, hallelujah, it has been crucified with Christ. There is a new man here now, and this new man does not do such things. Praise the Lord. That is where strength comes from. Always to be different. And he said, follow Jesus. Follow who? Jesus. And the, ex- the, the explanation there in Amplified was, cleave steadfastly to my example in living. And if need be, in dying also. Follow my example in living, and if need be, in dying also. There is a way Jesus lived. Praise the Lord. And that is, you see, that is the curriculum. That is the matter. That is the meat of Christianity. There was a way Jesus lived. In Mark chapter 1 verse 35, if I remember what, the Bible says, A great while before morn, Jesus did what? Departed from that place and went somewhere to pray. There was a way Jesus lived. This simple thing we call quiet time. It is guaranteed to help you. 
as a Christian. When Jesus had needs, he would pray. Some of you. You, I thank God that your parents are rich or that you have uncles and aunties that can meet your needs. But I want to challenge you. Can you try to lift up your eyes to the hills? Let your help come from there. Especially those of us who are young. Are we together? Can you try and learn a habit of praying about your needs? Because when you grow older, people who supply you will use their supply of you to control your life. Amen. And sometimes even parents do that. Follow me. Follow my example in living. And if need be, in dying also. Perhaps not many of us in this congregation will be called to die on account of our faith. But there are many other ways in which you are called to die for Jesus. On account of your faith, everyday conversations take place around you. And if you say what is true, if you say what is right in your office or in your workplace, everybody looks at you like a fool. People, you know, ostracize you, push you out from among them and things like that. It's a type of dying, is it not? And Jesus is saying, unless you do this, you cannot be my disciple. I remember the first house we lived in. One day, somebody went and tampered with the meter. Not that he bypassed it, but never came and caught the light. And we went to them. He said, no, we must pay 50,000 fine. The man said, over his dead body. No problem now. So we are watching. So he now called a lawyer. And uh, I came back from work one day and they said, there's meeting upstairs. I went upstairs, six flats. We were sitting down with the lawyer. And he was dictating for the lawyer. How one day the meter just caught fire. After the meter caught fire, the, we saw a Nepal van and we told the Nepal van and the Nepal van came and fixed the light and went away and we didn't make an official, you know, lies. Ah, see, so that we will not pay this 50,000. Hey, and I was just praying in my mind. I said, God, why am I in this place? I now raised my hand. I said, but is that what happened? He said, if you don't tell it like this, that we'll pay the 50,000. I said, look, this is not what happened. Let's pay that 50,000. Hey, it was shameful. It was disgraceful. In fact, the lawyer just carried his briefcase. Me, I'm going, no. When people set your house, decide on what you do. And, you know, everybody was ashamed of me. At least my wife was not ashamed of me. Praise the Lord. May the Lord give you a better husband and better wife. But the point is that with time, these people came to respect me as a Christian. And when each of them packed out, or when I eventually packed out, they were glad to have associated with me. There are many ways and many scenarios in which you are called upon to die for knowing Jesus. Jesus expects it of you. You are called upon to speak because you know Jesus and because you know the truth. And Jesus says, don't be ashamed. If you are ashamed of me today, I will be ashamed of you later. Don't be ashamed. I think the last verse we will read before we finally conclude, sorry, is Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14, from verse 25. To be a Christian is costly. To be a disciple is costly. And we are looking at that cost. 25. Now large crowds, of, large crowds were going along with Jesus. And he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father, and mother, and wife, and children, and brothers, and sisters, yes, even his own 
life. He cannot be my disciple. And you know, the word Christian, does it appear in the Bible? The word Christian, is it in the Bible? I remember seeing it only once. He says, and the disciples in Antioch were called. Ah, So when you see the word disciple, it's not some special esoteric thing. It simply means Christian. What Jesus is saying here is that anyone who does not do these things, you cannot be a Christian. Praise the Lord. When you fill forms and you come to religion, you're about to fill Christian. I want you to check this verse. Are you a Christian actually? Do you love Jesus more than your own life? Do you love Jesus more than your parents? More than your wife? Or are you ready to compromise with any of these people? And say, Jesus, wait, oh, let me just make my father or my mother happy. If you are a Christian parent, or you have Christian children, please always remember, your commitment to Jesus can cause you trouble with your children or with your parents. Praise the Lord. Many times, people marry wrong spouses out of parental pressure. It is wrong because you don't want to be a disciple. You want to please your daddy or your mommy. I know your daddy or your mommy love you, but do they love you more than Jesus? Did they die for you? Did they see the end from the beginning? Is there any parent whose name is Alpha and Omega, beginning and end? So God in his wisdom has said like this, but you, in your own small wisdom, you want to make a parent happy. And so you go and do what is wrong. Now what for you? This your parents, are they everlasting? I didn't say you should quarrel with your parents. So. Amen. But I will tell you a story. I remember 2007. Time for NYSE. I got a phone call from one of my parents. Let me not tell you who. And they said... We have this friend, 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 friend. We want to fix your service for you. I said, please don't fix it. Ah, why not? For this, this, that reason, please just leave it like that. So they left it. And then the posting now came out. I was posted to Katsina of all places. My younger brother was also posted to Jigawa State. And my father was, he was like in an election year. I told you, let me fix this thing for you. You refused. Now see where you are going to. Brother and sister, we went to, and I'm telling you as an adult, in my adult life, that was one of the best years of my life. Praise the Lord. Because God sent me there. And I experienced God deeply in that place. I still remain my father's son. But our relationship is now better. If you are going to help your parents, parents who are unbelievers or half-believers or even believers, insist on doing what is right. You don't save your parents, your brothers and sisters by empty talk. Your life has to have something inside. Insist on what is right. With time, they will line up behind you. Praise the Lord. So let's close our eyes and pray. I want us to say, Lord, please let my life be sharp. I want to be a disciple. I want to be a Christian. I want to be on the path that leads to glory. I want the end of the life of men of faith, I want it to become my, my own end. Look at how Abraham ended. Full of years. Full of years. Rich in the purpose of God. Look at how Joseph ended. A great man. There is an end. 
Surely there is an end. But before that end, there is a pathway of discipleship. Tell the Lord, you want your life to be sharp as a Christian. To be sharp as a Christian. Whatever it takes, you want to learn. You want to enroll in this training program for believers. You don't want to continue to be an artful dodger. Those who save their lives. Those who say, this God said, he makes people suffer too much. I will do by myself. Those who save their lives, they will lose it. On the long run, they are the losers. If you are here, you are sure you want to plant your life for Jesus. Like a grain. You want it to fall to the ground and die so that it can bear fruit and become something. And you become something in the purpose of God. You want to trust God with your life. Paul said, I know whom I have believed. I'm persuaded he's able to keep this my life, which I have committed. I'm sure God is faithful. That's what Paul said. I've given him my all. If you are here, you want to give God your all as a disciple. You want to stop being suspicious of God. If I follow God, he will make me a missionary to Kano. If I follow God, he will give me a blind woman to marry. You want to trust God as your father. You want to rededicate your life to God. You want to be a first class Christian. You want Jesus to identify with you. To be personally responsible for your training, for your molding and for your making. I want you to stand up please. We'll pray together. If it's wrong to be a Christian If it's wrong to say You're my best friend. If it's wrong to live for Jesus, oh, bless the Lord, I'll never be right. If you want to live for Jesus, stand up. Let's pray together as an expression of faith and as an offering unto God. If it's wrong to say you're my best friend, and if it's wrong to live for Jesus, oh, bless the Lord, I'll never be right. In Jesus' name we pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for this morning, for these ones and others perhaps previously, whom together we have looked into the cost of discipleship. Into the, the cost of being a Christian. And the fact that we will be rejected by this world and we will suffer like Jesus suffered. And yet are saying they will go nowhere else because you have the words of eternal life. Lord, please, as a witness to this decision, help these ones to maintain and to stand by this decision for the rest of their lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for all our lives. You've kept us this long. Lord, we pray that as darkness continues to spread and become thick 
over the entire world. Your commission to us is to rise and to shine as the light. Lord, we know it was unto the disciples that you said, we are the light of the world and the salt of the earth. Lord, please help us to be disciples indeed. People who are not ashamed of you. People of whom you will not be ashamed. In Jesus' name we pray.